That's where we're going to start in John 3.16. Let's all get there. You'll look at John 3.16 with me just for a minute. Well, maybe for several minutes. But we're going to look at John 3.16. And I won't labor you in the common portions of John 3.16. But someone quoted this scripture to me this week, and I remembered it. And, of course, it's not an easy verse to forget. But I... Lord, when I was talking to the Lord about the conversation I had with the individual, this verse kept coming to my mind. And this is what the Lord wanted me to present this morning. It's not what I had planned for this morning. Uh, we, have a, we have a story out of Samson, and I will try to present that in the evenings. Tonight, though, we're going to have Brother Jim, uh, for lack of a better thing. What's your last name, Brother Jim? Nelson. Brother Nelson will... Uh, be up here, and he'll give a message tonight what the Lord laid on his heart for us. We're anxious to hear that. And uh, in the meantime, you're stuck with me for John 3.16, and the next time we meet on Wednesday, I hope we look at Samson a little bit. Another common story, another common name, another common person, but not common in God's eyes, but uh, we can learn a lot from him besides problems he dealt with. All right, let's go to 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This verse is said to be the summary of the gospel, the summary of scripture in, in whole. If you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, they point to John 316 from the front and from the back. God so loved the world. Did you notice something about this verse, though? It's separated with a comma. It's one of those few verses in your Bible, no matter what translation you're reading of Scripture, and that's all it is, is a translation. Some, some of them are versions, but this is the Bible you've got in front of you. For the English people, the book of uh, John here, there's no italicized words in some of the other translations, or even in some of the King James Bibles they italicized words that have been injected by the original people that interpreted the scripture for us, the King's Bible by that, and there's 32 men that were involved in that. We're not going into the validity of the King James Bible. We're going into uh, something I want you to notice. There's nothing interjected here. In the tense it shows up, it's the tense it's to be presented in. And if you see, you've got to remember your English here, it's got a comma in it. A lot of times in the other versions, and I'm talking versions now, they will quote this scripture because it's so precious and dear to so many people, they don't want to mess with it. Although the uh, Reader's Digest version reads, John 3.16 says, God loves. But here we see it's separated by a comma. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, comma, past tense. He gave, he's gave, and he loved, E-D, past tense. That's something he did in the past. Oh, he loves us. He loves us. We'll talk about conditional love in just a minute, and we'll talk about unconditional love. And God loves us unconditionally. If you want to know the difference between conditional and unconditional love, I like this joke. I've tried it. My wife wouldn't let me do it a second time. <laughs> See, she won't let me do it. But 
Conditional love, you want to know the difference between conditional love and unconditional love, is you put your dog in the trunk for 20 minutes and come back and open the trunk, and your dog will lick you on the face. That's unconditional love. Conditional love, you put your wife in the trunk and come back in 20 minutes and see what she does to your face. God loves us unconditionally, and it's not out of ignorance, such as the dog's love for us. It's out of his divine providence and perfection he loves us unconditionally. You know why kids are so cute like those two on Brother Jay's lap? Because if they weren't so cute, you'd strangle them. And, just that's, and that's how I'm afraid we are with God sometimes. He loves us so much. If he didn't love us so much, pop, we'd be gone. He wants us to love him back. He wants us to have an unconditional love towards him. You won't develop that unconditional love towards him unless you read your scripture, unless you submerge yourself in God's word, unless you study your Bible. And I can't give it to you every day. You're going to have to be submerged in it. Then when you develop that relationship with God and you work on that relationship with God, it's easier for him to please you. Oh, where are you going, preacher? Let's go to, uh, let's see what I've got here. Let's go over to 1 Peter 5, 6. 1 Peter 5, 6. And in the meantime, while you're searching for that, Brother Rick, would you stand up and read us the other one? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's in a general perspective. That's past tense. And when he says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, all of a sudden that narrows down to a future tense, an everlasting. They call it present tense, and it goes on into the future tense. If you study the original languages of the Bible, which I have for a few years, and I don't regret it, but I won't practice it, I, you'll see that that portion of Scripture is in a forward tense. That means it's moving onward. In Sunday school, we talked a little bit about that. It's moving onward. God loves you now. He'll love you later, and he loved you in the past. And he will work with you now and in the future. And that relationship with him is contingent on what? We just read it. His word. That relationship with God is contingent on his word. You want power with God. You want strength with God. You want victory over things in your life. Get right with your maker. Stay close to your maker. Let, he'll, he'll put you in the trunk once in a while. He will. He will. I've been in a trunk. Anybody else been in? Yeah. And sometimes it's not so good when we get out of the trunk. More powerful words. More powerful promises. You wouldn't see that unless you're looking in Scripture. You wouldn't see that unless you're studying God's Word. He gives you a tidbit there, something to feed you, something to have you to grow. He gives you strength and victory. And this is on a national level. Remember, we started out in a past tense and on a national level. We talked about the world. This is about the world here. Now, let's peel it down to an individual. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that, ye, that he may exalt you in due time. What a promise. 
What a promise. What a hard thing to do, though. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And there's verses and verses. We're not going to preach too long on being humble. But the verse is there. There's no other way to deal with it. And it, he goes on and explains itself. Casting, he's not just trying to, the first time I read this, oh, he's gonna, I'm going to be humble and he'll lift me up. And he will. As you lift him up, he'll lift you up. Even if it costs you your job. Even if it costs you your standing in the community. I've been there, done that, and had the t-shirt. And so have some of you. You need to humble yourself, be submissive to God and to his word, and he will lift you up. Want an illustration? I had a gentleman come to me one time, drove, drove cross-country truck. He says, Lord, I started coming. He said to me, Pastor, I started coming. I was talking about the Lord. He says, I come to you. He says, you know, our, our marriage was on the rocks. My wife and I, we drove truck. I'm gone two, three weeks at a time. Some of you have heard this illustration. Gone two or three weeks at a time. It's not good. I got to be home. We got teenagers. You know how easy they are to raise. He says, I got to get a different job. Okay, let's get a different job. Pray for another job. Quit his job. Went out or went and looked for another job. Had an application in at a trucking firm right close to the middle of nowhere. That's where the church was, the middle of nowhere. And he said, he says, I got this job interview. Let's pray about it. So we prayed about it. I prayed with this man about tithing. When he didn't have a job, after he got the job, I'm going to explain to you the particulars. After he got the job, he came to me and asked me to pray for him that it would be easier for him to tithe because when he didn't have a job, it was a lot easier for him to tithe than when he had a very good job. <laughs> it was a bigger amount, you see. So I prayed and asked him to... Lord, to take his job. No, he said he wouldn't want him to do that. All right. But the point is, he got a good job. And it was because he told the man he wasn't going to go out to work on Sunday. If you know anything about truck and cross country, you load up on Sunday at the latest Sunday afternoon, and you're gone. And you're back, hopefully, before the next Sunday, or you get your load and turn around and start for home the next week. That's how it is in the States. He says, I want to be home. He said, he says, this is a good job. It's local. I'll make the turnaround, but I won't make church. He says, you tell him what you got to tell him. I prayed with him. He told the boss, I can't do the job. The boss said, this is a good job. You leave on Monday. Load up on Sunday. You leave on Monday. You got till when you run your route out, it was from the central states out to the Dakotas and back. He says, when you're unloaded, you just deadhead back. You got three days, you make it in four days, fine. You can be back Friday, Saturday, and you leave again on Sunday. He says, I can't do it. I can't do it. He took and uh, told the boss that, and he was back in church the next day praying. Called me on Tuesday and says, They gave me the job. He says, You won't believe what he, they did. I says, what do you mean? He says, well, the last guy had the job, and he'd beat it back sometimes on Wednesday because he wouldn't go clear out to the Dakotas and make his deliveries to all the little schools. He delivered chicken to all the schools, processed chicken, and he delivered it to all these little schools, and then he'd come on back. He, wasn't, he wanted to get back home to go hunting and fishing, so he'd get out there so far and say, I'm going to skip this school and this school. They ain't got much for their orders. I'll just give them a call and tell them I'll be there next week and come on back, shortchange the schools boss told him, 
you sound like you're honest because you told me you wanted to be home with your family and at church. We'll load you up on Monday. He's a deacon in a Baptist church now because he put his faith and trust in God and God's word. And you have to do that. We have to do that as Christians. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. You have to spend some time in God's word. You have to seek after God's word and you'll have the power of God's word on your life. And it might not go quite the way you want it to go. He's put me in the trunk a few times, and I've gotten out, and I didn't know where I was at, including with the person that put me in the trunk. I had to start over again. And when you have to start over again and get your moral compass laid out, because as we heard in Sunday school class, it isn't in this world your compass. It's in the world up there. You get your directions from God. That's what Sunday service is about. I'm trying to give you some direction. We're trying to understand together God's direction for each one of our lives. And that's why it's important you come. That's why important we pitch together. That's why it's important we pray together. That's why it's important we push each other through this world together. You draw strength from God's word. You draw encouragement from God's word. And you can get it from one another. Don't depend on it. You need to go to God for it. The next verse I want to take you to is Romans. We talked to Romans, book of Romans. It's about mankind. And this is about God loving the world. And each one of us as individuals right now because of what he did in the past. And in the past, he created this planet. In the past, he set everything in motion. In the past, he put everything in order. In the past, he divided his plan out for salvation, your and my salvation with him. And he laid it out. And he also told us where we would get snagged up and corrupted. Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans is about mankind. You ever wonder why it has, oh, we could go into the philosophy and the talk about Roman and how Rome was built and all how Roman, the word Roman comes about means kingdom. All right, but the middle word in Romans, the last word in Romans, I should say, is man. The book of Romans is about man. It's about man's depravity, and it's about man's victory in, over life. That's why I, rec- I was so easy to quote Romans 10, 17, because it's a pivotal point in Romans where he starts talk- stops talking about man's depravity, as you'll see in Romans 1, and starts in on man's victory in life and how you can fly with the eagles in the last couple of chapters of Romans. And one of the last things you'll notice in Romans is Paul doesn't take any of the victory to himself. He thanks everybody, including the usher and the lady who cooked his meals in Scripture in the last chapter of Romans. Read it. Humility, humility to realize none of us are going to get out of the trunk alone. Holy Spirit and God's going to open it. But you're uh, going to stay there until you get the last part of Romans squared away. You're not going to have the kind of fellowship you need to have with God until you humble yourself and submit yourself. Some of the things you have to submit yourself to, the very only thing you really have to submit yourself is to his word. And if you submit yourself to his word, then you'll be ready to submit yourself to the church. 
you'll be able to submit yourself to your fellow man. It isn't easy apologizing to someone. It isn't easy. And, you know, grace is something we all love to have. We're, this John 3.16 is about grace, isn't it? He showered us with grace. It's the last thing we want to give up. Everybody wants it. Nobody wants to give it up. Little, even better than gold. <laughs> I like you guys say, mine that gold. There's a lot of stuff to that. Everybody likes that stuff. But nobody wants to give it up. You've been showered with grace. For God so loved the world. He created this world. He created this world. Romans. I better get over to Romans 1 and read that just a minute because I don't want to take too long. Romans 1. He gave us so much besides salvation. You know, one guy asked me one time, he says, how, how come he just doesn't take us up to heaven when we get saved? How come, how come when we get saved, poof, we're gone? And there's almost a denomination that believes that, a whole denomination deceived by Satan that believes that. Okay, Romans chapter 1. Let's go to verse 17. When I travel around the country, and some of you have too, we have blessed, we have a wonderful resource in this congregation. We have individualism maximus. We have people that spend time in God's word. We have people that are burdened for ministries in God's word. We have people in this congregation that have done their best to spread God's word to their abilities, whether it be in this town or in, I want to say, Africa. We are blessed with that, and God honors that. And if you go to those other countries, and you go to those other towns, and you go to those other villages, they want to know why you're prosperous. They look at the world as it is. God so loved the world. The reason we're benefiting and we're allowed to walk around in it is because it's a gift to mankind, and what does that gift reflect? Oh, man, I'm going to come down on the environmentalist here pretty quick. Oh, for God... For therein is righteousness, that's being right with God, the righteousness of God's revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that's what we're trying to instill this morning. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may have been known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. I, I, I want to bore you with another illustration. A friend of mine was going along, I think it was South America. I like to say Africa, but it was South America. There's a group of pygmies in South America, small people. Study it out, look it up. Just a small group. Runts, small little people. And there's others in other parts of the world. Aborigines, small people. But they were going down a river with Bibles they were going to produce, they were going to distribute when they got two days down the river. They got a day down the river and they seen a man up in a tree. The guy was looking around up in the tree and he seen them. He comes scrambling down the tree. Broken English, he said, Happy to see you, happy to see you. Well, they knew they weren't at the right spot. They says, Where are the little people? Oh, they're down the river. But you come to mine. Come to mine. They came to that people. They distributed God's word. They never got to the little people. The next year they went to the little people, and they stopped at the big people. 
And they, they says, how, how, how did you come to know us? How did you, what were you doing in that tree? He says, I'm the chief of this tribe. I go up in that tree and I look at what someone made for us. I look at this vast Amazon continent and I look at this vast array of beauty and I pray for my people. He didn't know God, but he knew there was a God because he knew that didn't come about in some swamp somewhere. And mankind was given that gift. For God so loved the world, there's pretty stuff. Wonder where it comes from. It's our job as Christians to meet that, that challenge. And it's our job as Christians, every day he reminds us, this isn't an accident. You cut yourself, you bleed. The ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. It'll happen. And it's part of his life and part of his plan that he gave his only begotten son. And he has a wrath on those that don't want to follow it. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know why climate change is... They softened it to climate changing. But you know why global warming is getting to be such a big deal? Because people don't revere God. Adam and Eve talked about, we'll go back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, you as be gods, knowing good from evil. Everybody wants to be a God. Everybody wants to know. Knowledge is wisdom. Knowledge is glory. Yeah, so you figured out how we came about, huh? And you figured out that you're going to change the weather, huh? Where I'm going with that, climate change is here. It's always changed. And we're not going to get into a debate about, uh, or we're not going to get into a discussion, or even I'm not going to teach on it today. I don't feel led to be there. I'm just trying to have us look at a big focus of things and the world and God's perfection in it and how we need to submit and humble ourselves through it, and we'll have a lot better understanding it. The truth about global warming Climate change is they're going to tax the air you breathe. They're going to give you carbon. They're going to tax the air you breathe. They've taxed everything else, and they're going to come and tax this church one day. You mark it down. It's on its way. And after they, after they find out they can tax the air you breathe, they're surely not going to stop at the ta at tax in your church where you worship. They're already trying to tell you how to sing in church or not to sing in church. Uh, global warming. That stuff wasn't developed. That stuff wasn't developed by someone who prayed every morning. That wasn't developed by someone who has to who's ever experienced God's grace. Sure as I'm standing here today. I remember when the scientists were telling me, telling my class, telling us as students, how long it would take to get to the moon. They said if a baby was born, it'd take him until he was 80 years old to get to the moon. They didn't understand gravity. And I'm not that ancient. But I was taught that in school by science. Then later I was taught how the world was going to freeze over. Now it's going to heat up. And the reason they push it so hard is they're going to tax you with it. They're going to figure out this whole thing is control. Okay, we are to stand we are acknowledged. We are given the understanding and the grace to know what it's all about. Right here. 
right here in God's Word. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but because became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I'll tell you, I've got a secular degree in human resource management. It's taught me a few things, but you don't know how many times I quoted that verse. I couldn't slip it in on some of the reports, but I was tempted to. God has to. We have been given the knowledge, the grace, and the understanding of the whole universe right here. Right here. You owe it to yourself to spend time in it and to start spending your life in it and to start sharing it with others. This church is going to be a beacon to the nations on the airways, on the computer, and to each one of us. And our neighbors, it starts off first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We won't go that way today. I want to impress upon you God's love, his grace, his forgiveness, and I want to get you out of the trunk. Let's stop worrying about some of this foolishness. Let's be compliant as much as within our minds and our hearts, as much as God leads you, and let's work with mankind. But you ought to understand this is a battle. The Mormons have one thing correct about this planet. They like to talk about how God, and I won't go into the details, but how Jesus Christ and Lucifer are having a battle here. And in a sense, that's what they're doing. The, whole, the rest of the scam is a, is a scam that they perpetrate in that regard. But there is a battle going on here. You getting fortified to walk out there? You're spending some time with God's Word. You're going out there with empty ammunition? You know, they taught it you in the service. We had a little allude to that in the service. You get ready. You slept with your gun. And you didn't call it a gun either. You slept with your weapon. You slept with your ammunition. You tucked it under your pillow. You give it a kiss goodnight because it might save your life the next day. Are you sleeping with your ammunition? Are you sleeping with your pillow? Are you sleeping with God's word? Do you spend that much time with it? You leave it here in the pew and come back next week and find it? No, I'm not criticizing that. I'm glad you came. Leave whatever you want. I hope you leave more money than what you came with. What you came with. But we need to spend time in this book. Uh-oh, I'm a Bible thumper now. Somebody told me if I was a Bible-thumping, God-fearing, gun-toting, that I was deplorable. Uh-oh, uh-oh. We're going to stay here in Romans chapter 2 and in Romans chapter 3, and we're going to see how we're to humble ourselves. Each one of us every day have an opportunity to humble ourselves and keep that communion with God. Humble yourself when the boss says, everybody comes in on Sunday gets a bonus. Can't make you come in. Well, boss, can't make it Sunday. No, I'm not picking on anybody in particular. I'm just using illustrations that we all have to live with. Okay, you have a chance to humble yourself. Well, you know, I just don't do that. Uh, I could bore you with some more illustrations, but God will exalt you. That man that got the uh, job, it was humbling going into his boss and saying, and praying, 
almost in tears for a job. And here he gets one handed to him. The Lord had better for him. We just, well, I won't go there. Uh, everything, you have a chance to work with God and humble yourself before him. And you know where it starts out? Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23. Lord, it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 5.8, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You have to humble yourself to admit you're a sinner, don't you? Each one of us have to admit our shortcomings, our faults, and our humbleness. We have to profess that before God. And what does it say? He'll exalt you. He won't only exalt you and give you a ticket into heaven, give you an opportunity to have that fellowship with him, but he will exalt you in your work and in your daily life with your spouse, your relationship with your family, your children, everything. He will exalt you. I come from a family, somebody guessed it this week and talked to me about mafia. I come from a real rough family. We don't, we don't, they don't debate much. Uh, I could quote you, I won't. <laughs> uh, I know Italian for sleeping with the fishes. Went around my kitchen table. Went around my kitchen table when I was your age. You have to get out of that situation. I don't know what, you have to humble yourself and admit there's something wrong there. And then the Lord will take you out of the trunk and you'll be able to jump out. And you'll be able to kiss him knowing that he knows what's best for you. Not the preacher, not anybody else, not even your own conscience a lot of times because how do, do we, we all are taught in certain realms. Do right what's in your own eyes. How do you feel about the situation? Follow your feelings. Don't have to watch a Hollywood movie very long to know what it's all about following your feelings. My feelings run a lot more contrary to this book than I'd like to admit. But when I admit it and humble myself, I'm exalted. In God's eyes first. And in mankind, maybe, maybe not. Oh, God, uh, there's a profession of faith that talks about, uh, uh, and I knew the man personally, and to his house, famous for it talking about his summer home. I bet he's talking about how if you're not right with everybody else around you, you're not right with God. Okay, why'd they crucify Christ then? Why'd they try to poke Paul's eyes out? Tell me, you're right with everybody else, you're right with God. That's not how it works. You get right with God, and he'll make you right with the people he needs you right with. We're diplomats for him. But there are some people we're never going to be right with. We'll be contrary. We're contrary to the world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. All right, that all being said, where do you stand with God in humbleness? If anything pricked your heart today, if anything pricked your conscience today, I, I, I'm shooting in the dark. The Holy Spirit's had me tell you what I've just told you. I've tried to remove myself as much as I can personally from this situation. But I have to tell you, I learned this. I've been in the trunk. I don't want to see you guys in the trunk. Each one of us, 
need to cultivate our relationship with God through his word, and we'll be exalted in whatever he wants for us to do. The sky's the limit. You take somebody as lowly and as worldly as me and put me in a seminary preach to preach to other preachers. He can do the same with you. And I'm humbled to be in this church. I'm humbled to move on at the point in my life where I can stand here in front of some of the most independent people in this country. Independent souls, independent hearts, and people, and I'm proud to be here with men and women who know how to serve God, who want to serve God, who want to move forward in service of God. I count it a humble privilege to be before you. I don't want to leave you with any other impression. God doesn't want to leave you with any other impression.